You're listening to the Embrace What Matters podcast, bridging the things of eternity with everyday experience. Here's your host, John Mahalik. Thanks once again for joining me as we venture forward with this new podcast format. If you haven't heard, we're shifting from episodes of past sermons that I've delivered to spiritual meditation episodes followed up by guest interviews that will help us flesh out the ideas from the previous meditation. The meditations are based on thoughts from my upcoming book, Unto Life, reflections on both the journey and the destination. In the meditation from our last episode, I summarized the book's introduction, which says we don't have to wait until we die to experience eternity and God's kingdom. We can live eternally in the here and now, and we can serve as agents of God's restoration by cultivating holiness even in the most common everyday things. And that brings me to today's first guest interview with Andy Gullahorn. Andy Gullahorn is one of the best examples I know of someone who intentionally bridges the things of eternity with everyday experience. He's a Christian singer-songwriter out of Nashville, Tennessee, with a career spanning back over 20 years. He's released seven solo albums and a Christmas record with his singer-songwriter wife, Jill Phillips. He's contributed his talents to numerous other projects, and his songs have been recorded by the likes of Chris Tomlin, Andrew Peterson, Sarah Groves, Jill Phillips, among many others. But having said this, you probably won't hear much of Andy's music on Christian radio. You likely won't see him up on the stage at the Dove Awards or at the top of the Christian music charts. This isn't a failure on Andy's part. It's the result of a purposeful plan. Andy's influence among fellow artists and folks like me who love his music is more like a slow pulsing ocean tide. You may not notice it right off, but you can't help but feel its power. In his music and in his life, Andy has left a lasting impression upon so many of the souls he's encountered. We immediately feel his gift of friendship, his ability to make us laugh, and his knack for joining us in our weakness and in our doubts, leading us to a place of hope that feels reachable and true. So join me now for this conversation with Andy Gullahorn and see if you don't come away from it like I did, encouraged by the potential to recognize God's kingdom in most every corner of the life you live. Welcome, Andy, to the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm pretty excited. You're, you're the, one of the first guys I thought of when it was, came to doing these guest interviews, and uh, it's a thrill to have you on. So I want to begin talking about uh, some of your formative years, and this is probably typical stuff you've heard before in interviews, uh, but just to get an idea of who you are. Um, I know you're, you were raised or born, were you born in Texas? I was. I, I was born in Austin, Texas, and lived there all the way through high school. I saw something about Houston. Did you live there at some point? No. No. Austin not. all the time, yeah. So Austin is interesting um, for I'm one of those Texas outsiders. I've traveled through 
what I know of Austin is it's supposed to be this kind of progressive island in this conservative state. Was was that your experience of Austin growing up, or were you was it just a like Texas is known, just a real variation? What was your experience in that area? Um, it's an interesting mix. I mean, definitely Austin definitely is that compared to Texas it's in yeah. a similar way that you know Nashville is to Tennessee or right. Madison is to Wisconsin. You got a capital city there that tends to be a little bit more progressive. Um, but Texas is its own thing. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it always just felt like, uh, being a Texan came before politics for better <laughs> or worse. Yeah. And, um, so then I grew up, you know, just outside of Austin on, on a little farm. So it was a little mixture of, um, hey, but I also didn't really know what, how it differed from other places in Texas. Cause that was just my experience in Austin and, Right. I love Austin. It's a great city. Yeah. And, and I know you guys travel back to, to Texas quite a bit, go, mm-hmm. to, go to Laity Lodge. And um, do you still have lots of friends and family? Are you, is your family in the Austin area? Yeah, most of my family is still there in Austin. Actually, my daughter will be going to college there next year. So I'll probably be getting back to Austin as uh, much as possible. Oh, that's great. So lots of people have different opinions about Texas and certainly people from Texas have opinions about Texas, (laughs) but, uh, I've never really seen you as one of those guys exactly like you're so proud to be from Texas, but generally how did, how do you think Texas shaped you? Well, I realized as you asked me that question, I have a Texas flag hanging up behind Ah, me. So maybe I, maybe I am one of those guys. Um, Texas, I mean, being a Texan is a huge part of who I am. Um, and it's hard to really pin down what exactly that means. But what I realized about Texas was different to me about Texas and other places is there's an informality to it. Um, and even there's a lot of people with, you know, oil money. There are a lot of people with money, but moving to, to Nashville, which is the only other city I've lived in, kind of seeing what money looks like in Tennessee versus what money looks like in Texas or what money looks like in California or New York, Texas. It was like people with money put it into farms and outdoor entertaining spaces. Yeah. Um, and so it wasn't like, you know, you might have a fancy pickup truck, but it, it was a different kind of flashy for people who had money uh, that, it felt almost like more common ground. Like it wasn't, there wasn't such a disparity between people who had money and didn't okay. uh, because everybody just liked pickup trucks, like being outside, love nature. Um, and of course that's a real big generalization. Not everybody from Texas feels that way, but sure. that was my experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my first uh, exposure to you, I don't know. I'm sure old hat your first uh, record was out. Uh, when I first was introduced to you, but you know, you have this, the cover of the album has this old uh, hat, maybe like a guy in Texas would wear, would wear. And um, I remember watching videos of you. Uh, you owned a pickup truck for quite a few years. Isn't that right? Um, mm-hmm. As an adult. And then was it, was it just kids and minivans that sent that away or. Ha- yeah, it wasn't quite practical. And it was, it was, uh, you know, a good beat up old truck. But once, 
once you had, uh, once we had car seats, yeah. um, you know, it, it became fairly impractical, uh, but I still regret getting rid of that truck. I, I, one day I'm going to get back to <laughs> having a pickup truck. Yeah. The dream of every man. Yeah. Well, and, and you had that lyric, right? Well, no, it wasn't a pickup truck. The new, one of the new songs you just wrote that about taking a four wheel drive on the grass or something. Oh yeah. <laughs> that the, the pointing yeah. out, pointing out the idea that most people who buy four wheel drives don't really use them. Is, I, I'm, <laughs> so, I'm, I'm assuming that was the point, but um, uh, maybe so. I don't know. Um, so your family, I mean, this is kind of back to stuff that shaped you. Um, your, your, are your parents both living? They are. They, yeah. uh, they're still on the same farm in Austin. Okay. And, uh, I had, uh, an older brother, a younger brother, and then a younger sister. So we all kind of grew up out there and, um, and they're all still in Austin, except for my younger brother who's out in California. So what was the Gullahorn household like growing up? Was there, uh, a million people over at the house all the time, lots of meals, laughter were you guys always working and busy what was the dynamic like it was pretty active um it's hard to remember as a really young kid but um like high school we went through uh, catholic schools all the way through high school okay and the catholic high school was 45 minutes away from where we lived so um i mean there was a lot of activity happening at our house but most of the time it's kind of like people are out and about and um, you know, it, it was, there's a lot of driving involved. I mean, if you just the hour and a half of driving back and forth to school, but if there's sports and stuff and we're on the other side of town and, um, but I'd also say that when we were home, you know, always playing sports with my brothers or working outside and all through growing up, there were different seasons in which we had different people staying with us for different reasons. Um, you know, it just seemed normal back then. But when I look, I'm like, oh, yeah, this person lived with us. Oh, and this person lived with us. Oh, and this person did. And some of them were kind of, we knew through church who were kind of coming out of hard times and they just lived with us for a season. And it was a pretty open home and a fun home to uh, bring people out there to. And uh, my parents were pretty hospitable. You're known as a guy that uses humor a lot in your songs and concerts. Uh... Were you, were you the only funny guy in your family or were there, were there others? Are there others? I didn't, I never thought of myself as the, the funny one in the family. Um, but um, I think everybody in our family had a pretty good sense of humor. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's all different. Um, but my, my dad still is, is a pretty funny guy, but funny in the sense like he just, makes up stories and he calls them therapeutic lies. Um, <laughs> but uh, he's, he's pretty good at making up a story. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a lot of humor is about observation. And so that sounds like you get some of that from your dad, maybe, but mm -hmm. um, so sports, and, and this is all kind of relating to where we're headed. Um, you were pretty active. I mean, I know you're, you seem like a natural athlete when I've been hanging out with you some, but, uh, were you active in, in organized sports growing up? I was, uh, am I probably mostly influenced by my older brother who was you know, in high school, he was like, you know, all state 
uh, center fielder, point guard, and quarterback kind of guy. Wow. Uh, I never played football. I played baseball one year of high school. I was mostly a basketball player. So that's that's just kind of what I cared about. I only cared about basketball. I mean, maybe played soccer when I was a lot younger. But uh, basketball through high school. Um, and then uh, after basketball season was over my senior year, and I, was, I didn't know what else to do with myself. I played tennis with my best friend. Um, and that was actually a lot of fun playing doubles tennis in high school. Um, but just kind of, you know, at home, we're always active playing mostly basketball, but, but other, whatever sports came to mind, we, we, uh, we're always up for games and competition. Yeah. So another aspect of your personality is you you kind of have an everyman quality to you. You, you seem to kind of get along with lots of different people was, was was that the way it was in high school? Were you you know the the traditional cliques? Were you a a clique guy or were you a floater? Were you someone that kind of just hung out with everybody? Oh, interesting question. I think I would definitely um, definitely be more of a floater. I was kind of like in high school. I was voted most likely to win a Grammy and most likely to be a priest, <laughs> and uh, so that tells you that. Uh, at least the priest part, I was concerned with being the good kid for better and for worse, mostly worse sometimes. But um, that kind of, um, I would say I was friends with um, a lot of people. I mean, all kinds of people in high school. And like having deep lasting friendships from there, um, I kind of separated myself from like the party scene or whatever, uh, which there are good things about that, but also to the detriment of like building deeper friendships, you know, right. Um, and having more shared experiences like that. So, I mean, I definitely, you know, had friends kind of all across the spectrum. Um, so I guess that would make me more of a floater. Yeah. I don't know who who would say, "Oh, I was a click guy." Yeah, or but, or but you know, I was a nerd, or I was an a jock, or you know, right? Yeah. yeah, I was kind of in the middle in the middle there for sure. I mean, I was competitive. I liked sports, but sports weren't everything to me. Um, and I did okay in school. I wasn't the smartest kid in school, but um, you know, I was in the honors classes, that kind of things, and I loved math. So it's kind of kind of nerdy kind of sporty uh and then i played music which in my high school nobody else was like really doing that kind of a thing so that was kind of a you know more of a solitary uh thing for me right right so let's get into a little bit of your your formation as a musician uh now the other night uh or was it last night? Yeah, last night you, had, you did the Gullahorn Happy Hour. You do Monday nights, um, and you had oh, David. So we did two nights. It was a special oh, Sunday, Sunday night. One, but, okay, so yeah. Nights. Okay, right. That's yeah. why you're confused. Yeah, that's why I'm confused. Normally it's Monday, uh, and we'll we'll explain that in a little bit. I want to get into that, but uh, you had uh, the songwriter, singer songwriter David Wilcox on, and uh, oh, by the way, I was listening, and I I never spent time with him, but did you ever see the uh, the movie uh, Amadeus? Mozart, yes. he laughs a lot like the guy in that 
movie. Oh, that's funny. Never <laughs> and, thought about that. Uh, yeah, just, just, I mean, the the energy that he has, and and the, it was funny because you're a little bit like me. You're kind of laid back and uh, not don't exactly wear your emotions on your sleeve, but David is all over the map. And uh, but it was, I just, I, I, I made that connection. Uh, another musical genius who who laughs to the to the ceiling. It's, yeah. Uh, but sure. yeah, what what a great guy. So I know he was one of, he's been one of your main musical influence influences, but uh the you know, the formative years when you started writing songs, I know country was probably a big influence. What were some of the other influences early on? I think um, you know, my whole life was basketball until uh you know, freshman, sophomore year of high school. And I mean, I always kind of liked music, but that's when I picked up a guitar, started playing guitar, and then uh, pretty soon after that, started writing songs. And so the influences were definitely, you know, good old '80s and '90s country uh, artists. Yeah, and I love studying songs and song structure from those songs. And then, it, uh, so kind of between country, but then also folk music. So uh, guys like John Gorka or Pierce Pettis or um, Patty Larkin um, and that's kind of it might have been my sophomore year of high school where I came across David Wilcox's music and right. there's it was definitely formative in that you know writing story songs uh, in country music is something that I love but there's something about David's music and Pierce's and, and John Gorka's for that matter but particularly David's it really felt like he was trying to infuse a healing component into his songwriting. Yeah. And uh, I just really connected with it. And was like, well, that man, that's kind of mm. what I at least want to shoot for. Um, so from then on, it kind of, there's this mixture. It's kind of country, kind of folky. Yeah. Um, and just, and it definitely shaped David. is such a great storyteller. Um, and um, I always admired that. It was just a, a great uh, role model to kind of follow, and and uh, you know I've been trying to copy him my whole life. Hopefully, it's right. it's my own thing. But um, I, I I don't know what I would be like as a writer or an artist uh, without his influence. Yeah, and I was I was just listening um, to some clips from uh, Old Hat. And uh, the the town the the song Dry Town really mm. reminded me of David Wilcox. I, mm. I I don't know if you, I mean, you, yeah, of course you never know whether you're copying someone or or being similar right. to someone when you write. But uh, yeah, it, it it had a similarity. But I mean, my my sense of country music is there's I mean, there's lots we could say, but there's a, there's a certain symmetry to country music. It has has a pretty strict for the most part structure, at least maybe, maybe modern. And then where more of the David Wilcox, Pierce Pettis, um, it's not quite, you know, free form jazz, but it's, it's less structured as far as the kind of going back thematically and uh, having, having an A and a B maybe this is just my impressions. Uh, but I, but do you, would you agree that you hear, you, you probably kind of go both directions there? I mean, there's, there's, there certainly seems to be a lot of whatever the pattern is, A, B, C, and I return to this in, in your songs, which 
maybe we could relate to country. I don't know, but um, and then and then the then the lyr- the lyrics and the poetry and the the free verse is there too, which you could, you right. could attribute to a lot of folk musicians. Yeah, and I think that you know any of those writers like Pierce or David too have a really strong sense of of song structure. I just think that in country music, you're working with it's almost a little bit more concise and efficient yeah. Um, and, and less not artistic, but, but um, I don't know the word I'm looking for. Uh, definitely less abstract. Yeah. So uh, I, I would definitely put myself on, uh, you know, there's a spectrum of uh, song structure. I really love song structure. I love the traditional song structure that's found in country, but it's not just country music. It's pop music. It's, it's all kinds of music has that kind of a structure, but, um, I love the math of it. I I just love, um, which is one of the reasons why I love being in Nashville and trying to write for country music. It was like trying to fit an idea into three minutes or three and a half minutes. And, and, um, you know, having that kind of be the rule that I can break sometimes. Um, but I love trying to fit things in that, in that mold. So for those who don't know, it was at the mid early nineties, you moved to Nashville, went to Belmont, the college. Mm-hmm. 94, uh, went to Belmont, was there from 94 to 98. And then I, um, graduated, got married that summer. And then later that year, uh, we started working on a, record for my wife she signed with a christian record label deal and, and then, so that so that was happening around the same time that you were started writing for publishing companies or yeah well actually you know, i was writing through college and then by the time that jill's record was coming out i think you know she did a record with word records a christian mm-hmm. label right and they had talked to me early on and like oh would you like to sign a publishing deal here and i was like and they offered something and i was like well no I'm just writing for whatever. And I didn't grow up with Christian music. So I didn't know if I was the best fit for a Christian. Uh, I mean, faith was always important to me. It was always in my songs, but kind of what constituted contemporary Christian music was a lot of it was using a language that I was fairly unfamiliar with. Yeah. Um, and so they offered me something and then I didn't take it. And then we ended up doing the record and then the label realized Oh, he has like seven of the songs on this record. We should probably lock him down on a publishing thing. So then they offered me a, a different one right. that I was like, oh, sure, I'll take that. And then, uh, so I wrote there for a couple of years and then left there and then wrote for a country publisher for a few years. Um, but I haven't been writing for a publisher since for probably 18 years. So what were the pros and cons of having to sit down and write the three minute? pop song the commercial song because you know certainly i wouldn't i wouldn't attribute much of your own music to that uh certainly jill you know began that way but it worked for a label but you know what what were the pros and cons of how how has that affected how you've written since have you run away from that is it been that's not what that's what i don't want to do or or what have you learned some good stuff too well, if, if you're talking about like what it was like as a staff writer, particularly writing at the Christian record, at the Christian publishing company, um, I mean, I was so young and 
I don't have really fond memories of that time. It was it was a weird time in the music business too, and everybody was kind of worried for their jobs. It was, it was not yeah. the the best time in the in the whole history of Christian music. Um, but even the the writing appointments, I don't remember a whole lot of them. I mean, it's kind <laughs> of kind of blocked them out. Yeah. Um, and, and I enjoyed writing for the country publisher a good deal more, but it's still. Um, I don't really have a whole lot of cons about it. It just, there are a lot of people here who do that for really well for a living and write with people every day. Right. Maybe a couple different co-writing appointments a day and just really kind of like knock things out. And that's just not how I was wired. I write a lot by myself as well. So I could probably, I mean, back then, do like two or three co-writes a week, but that just felt like so much because I would, you know, we might not finish the song, but I would have the song going in my head and it would take up this space and I couldn't stop thinking about it. Mm. So I wasn't kind of cut out for the pace of the writing as a, as a, at a publishing company. And I watched guys, there's a, a friend of mine from college, we were at the same country publishing company and he just was, he was cut out for it. He was a great writer and he would have, you know, two sessions a day and then he'd go to showcases at night and he was just like he was just working really hard at that and then you know, it turns out he's you know one of the most successful writers in all of nashville he's had so many number ones in country music and, and when i see that i'm like yeah man he he really worked hard for that i i just wasn't cut out for it yeah but that's okay i kind of it kind of led me on the path of writing songs you know, there are some songs that I was writing to try to get recorded by other artists, but eventually there's some songs that I really love that I was like, well, nobody in their right mind is ever going to sing this song. It's too personal. Mm-hmm. And then that kind of led me to thinking, well, maybe I should do my own records again. And the way I thought about doing records was thinking about always looking at it as a demo, like maybe somebody would hear my record and want to record one of my songs. Right. And that's kind of still how I look at it, although not many people ever do that. So uh, it's, I kind of just trick myself into being an artist and doing records thinking that really I'm just a songwriter trying to get my songs out there. Mm. Yeah. So I want to broaden it a little bit. And uh, as, as I, I mentioned uh, one reason I wanted to speak with you is you've been a, an amazing example to me uh, in living out your faith in a way that I think we all can learn from, but also uh, in a way where we can uh, live out the kingdom uh, outside the church walls, so to speak. And as I was preparing for the interview, I, uh, the, the book Mere Christianity came to mind, C.S. Lewis. And for those who don't, are, aren't aware, Mere Christianity was, it's sort of a, a defense of the faith book, an explanation of Christianity uh, that, that C.S. Lewis wrote. I believe it might have come from some radio shows that he did, but the, the word mere M E R E, uh, was something that it's always stood out to me. What does that mean exactly? And I just looked it up again and his sense of it. And I think where the, where he got that phrase, the idea of mere Christianity is one that, uh, a Christianity that all faiths or denominations can hold in common. What, what do all denominations, including things like Catholicism, have in common across the Christian board. I think that that was one of his objectives, but it was also about a simple faith, a mere Christianity, a a plain faith, one that carries its weight 
without a lot of noise and fanfare. And that's how I, you know, have received your, your music and your life that, that you're kind of a mere Christianity guy. You're, you're somebody that certainly if, if somebody wants to pay attention and, and look closely, they're going to see the, certainly the, the Christian principles in your life and the, and even the communication of Christianity in your songs, but it's not over the top. And, and, and you're also a guy that has a gift for, uh, like I say, in my, the top of my podcast, you're a guy that has a gift for bridging eternity with everyday experience and, and a guy that is able to uh, see the holiness and maybe even create holiness in some of the most common things. One song that I think about uh, is one of your older songs, Holy Ground, where the person comes into this church and, and are there, there are the homeless people there. Is that right? I haven't mm -hmm. listened to it recently, but, but the idea is that it, the, the environment is this church where people are not necessarily the people that would be in church that have needs that we can speak to. And all of a sudden the church itself, that, that normally has a purpose for worship and potlucks becomes this holy ground, this, this, you know, kind of communion of the sacred with the secular. Um, and so I, I see that certainly in both your music and, and what I've learned about the way you've approached your, your career, your, your music is, is very much against type. It's, it's for the most part, it's quiet. It's not overly produced. It's, it's understated. Uh, I would call it stripped down songwriting. Uh, it's authentic. It's transparent. It's uh, not overly preachy. So is that, is, is that just who you are? Or is, is that kind of simplicity deliberate when you write songs? Um, I think it's both. I mean, it is deliberate, but I think it's deliberate because that is who I am. Like I, I kind of look at songwriting as like, some people would say, oh, I think from listening to your music, I really know who you are. Of course, they don't know everything about me. Right. But um, but I think that's a pretty, I hope that that's a fair statement, that, that I'm pretty transparent uh, and vulnerable in the songwriting uh, and the music. And that's kind of like, I'm not a big frills kind of person. So like the stripped down kind of thing just kind of fits who I am. Um, and, you know, and we could psychoanalyze and, and talk about talk about that in a really good light. We could also psychoanalyze it and talk about it in a, in a light that's maybe more unhealthy. You know, you start right. talking about like Enneagram stuff and, and, you know, when somebody told me that my, um, my lost childhood message or, or whatever it was, is that uh, my personality type doesn't believe that my presence matters. And I'm like, Oh, right. I don't know if that's true. People right. tell me that my presence matters a lot, but, you know, you could analyze it to be like, oh, well, I don't, if I'm making a record, I don't think it's worth spending a bunch of money on songs that I write. You know, it's kind of like, oh, just let's keep it simple because it's like, there's something underneath it. It's like, oh, I don't, I don't know that it's really like worth doing a whole bunch of stuff for, right? It's just pretty yeah. simple. And so, there, I mean, there, there are noble things about that, good things about it. And there are probably also some, you know, the, sh the shadow side to that as well but it does fit who i am I, it's just kind of um i don't know another way to do it I'm, I'm just not a i i just i've always been attracted to music that is more stripped down also i mean like i've right. always loved guitar vocal singer songwriter stuff i'll listen to other kinds of stuff but that's always what 
gets my heart, something that's really simple. Right. Well, and so wherever it comes from, it, it, I think it, it, it fills a niche. <laughs> it meets a need for the people that love your music. Um, you know, that my, I'm a, I'm more of a Andy Gullihorn guy than a, a pop <laughs> Christian pop music guy. My wife is more of the type that she loves the, the drums and the electric guitar and the, the soaring vocals and, and right. you know, give me give me some good Gregorian chant. That that works for me. But <laughs> but um, so in the same way, your in your your music isn't really full of like you, you talked about before. A lot of you know over the top spiritual illusion. You again, you can hear it in the lyrics, uh, but you you don't bang anyone over the head with not just Christian cliches, but just uh, maybe a song that is you know. Uh, uh, telling the story from the gospels or, or talking about the love of Jesus. And, you know, it's, it's, it's storytelling. It's, it's reality based. Um, is that more of an artistic choice about, about good songwriting or is that how you'd prefer to do your faith with others? Hmm. I don't think I would say that that's like the way to do good songwriting because there are a lot of, songwriters that I know and love who who write more kind of like who write in a different way you know like and it might be more biblical stories or just just where it's more overtly uh Christian or something like that yeah um and I don't look at that as like lesser songwriting it's just not it's just not who I am I, I just never communicated that way yeah um some of that um there are a lot of different ways to kind of speak to this. Uh, one is who I imagine my audience is. So kind of growing up um, and the kind of places I play, it could be, I mean, places that are predominantly Christian or churches or something like that, but it's not church services. Yeah. Cause that doesn't really fit what I do. Um, but then also things like folk festivals or folk venues, that kind of thing where there are people who, you know, or might be really open to spirituality, but very closed off to Christianity because it comes with a lot of agendas to them. Mm-hmm. So I've always wanted to write songs in a language that would not leave any of those people feeling left out. Um, right. And still not, I mean, I'm not avoiding songs about faith, but typically the songs about faith that I would write, um, I write a lot about doubt and questions and that kind of thing, because I think people uh, who would, say that they're people of faith or not, they can, everybody can relate to doubts and questions. And, um, and then it moves from this place of like, Oh, well, here's what I believe. And I think you should believe it to like, right. here's what I believe. And I don't know how I feel about it. Like it's, there's a big difference there. Um, and so I try to be mindful that I wouldn't want anybody to feel on the outside of the language of my songs, like to feel like just based on the language of it, um, it's not for them. Yeah. Um, and you know, I don't, I'm not saying that's the right way to do it. Another way of looking at it is, and, and somebody, my friend Ian kind of helped point this out to me a long time ago, but, um, you know, I grew up in the Catholic church and moved to Nashville to go to a, a Southern Baptist university and then right. kind of married into the into the Christian music world, right? So the mm-hmm. contemporary Christian music world was 
was notably non-Catholic, right? Right, right. Uh, I mean, these days there are more Catholic artists like Matt Marr and all these other people that um, are kind of accepted in that world, but th- right. that wasn't happening back when I was doing that. Um, so, you know, I had this wrestling thing between this evangelical world that I was in and the, and the way that I was raised. And a lot of people, when they do that, they, they kind of like in Nashville, for example, there's a, I would say there's a pretty big community of like recovering Catholics, people who grew up Catholic, but then, you know, were saved later in life and, you know, have all these negative things about the Catholic church. Uh, I don't feel that way. I I love growing up Catholic. And I think there's so much, um, so many great things about it. Yeah. Um, and when I look at, um, even my music, maybe the best way to put this is, uh, for years and years, people told me that I should read Flannery O'Connor and right. I didn't, I'm not a big reader, right? but uh, I was like, well, I don't know who that guy is, but I, I'm not going <laughs> to read him, you know, whatever. And then finally, you know, one of our friends, Jonathan Rogers wrote, a, wrote a kind of spiritual biography right. of Flannery right. O'Connor. Yeah. And I, I read it. I was like, oh, okay, I'll read it. And I just fell in love with her and started reading her uh, stories and, huh. and then her letters. And just like, I absolutely loved it. And part of, I'm not saying, well, I'll say that once I was reading Flannery's work, I was kind of like, oh, this is what I've been trying to do with songwriting my entire life. Okay. Um, and my friend Ian kind of helped say well one of the differences is that that catholic imagination so like where you had a lot of um imagine somebody well, like jill who grew up in the southern baptist church like oh you sing songs you're supposed to if you're a christian and you sing songs then it, it should be this kind of thing it should be worship or it should be this kind of thing right right and as a catholic there was never like oh there's christian music for that it's, it's just like oh we're right. catholics we're in the world and we right. just kind of we, we have this worldview and it just like, we're not a, fr- that's why a stereotype of Catholic would be like, Oh, they drink or they're not or cuss or, you know, whatever. Right. And it's kind of like there, there wasn't this separation of like what you talked about earlier of church and not state, but church in the, and our lives in, in the world. Yeah. yeah. It, there wasn't this big gap between what Sunday morning felt like and what the rest of the week felt like to me. Right. Um, so when I first encountered, Flannery's writing, I was like, oh, she's writing things that are kind of like gory, that are kind of like really dark, that are all these things, but there's, but it's definitely infused by faith. It's definitely infused by grace. And I just, I was like, man, that's in the same way when I first experienced David Wilcox's music, I was like, oh, that's kind of what I want to shoot for. Yeah. When I read Flannery, even though she's not writing songs, I was like, that's kind of, uh, She's in the world and not of the world, but definitely in the world, yeah, right? Yeah. She's, um, and so that's kind of, um, you know, when it comes to the difference of Christian music, I'm really grateful for my Catholic imagination because the Catholic imagination in, in my life has made me, I think I'm just was, have been in general more, uh, okay and sitting in uh conflict and sitting in doubt and and sitting in uh kind of feel more comfortable in the world 
yeah. in a sense. Yeah. Uh, then some of my friends who kind of grew up with a more evangelical background where it's kind of like, oh, we can't talk about that or we can't do this because it has to be, has to reflect, you know, give glory to God. And I'm just like, well, it all gives glory to God. There, was, there wasn't like a delineation of like what is okay to talk about because uh, it's just an understanding that well, God's the God of all of it. And I think it's all okay yeah. to write about. I don't know if any of that makes sense, but that's wonderful. Yeah, no, that's good stuff. Um, just, just to point it out, some context, I think it will help folks that are maybe getting to know you. Um, the Enneagram, you know, you know, Andy better than I do, but it's a, a personality profiles, correct. And you're, you're number nine, which is known as the peacemaker, correct? How, mm -hmm. how do you summarize the peacemaker personality? Well, I mean, the, the nine peacemaker, they're generally pretty easy to get along with. They're pretty uh, even keeled. Like they're not uh, very easy. Go I mean, they are very easy going, but uh, it kind of comes from a, an allergy, if you will, to conflict. Like I just want right. to avoid conflict at all costs. So uh, that's kind of what makes it so easy going. So there are really great things about it, but there's also like an avoidance of dealing with any kind of conflict uh, which is, can also not be a great thing um but um yeah the peacemaker it's it's uh you know generally peacemakers are really easy to be friends with because we're not like we're okay playing second fiddle to somebody else's dream yeah. we're okay kind of like merging with somebody else's energy and somebody else's vision yeah um and, you know, just like anything else, there's wonderful things about that and the shadow side to it as well. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, I thought that was helpful. Uh, yeah, even some of the questions I had, you know, uh, what's what's good songwriting or bad songwriting? Your your answer was, well, there's no, there's no good or bad songwriting. <laughs> People just do it differently. And uh, that might help explain where Andy's coming from. I guess uh, that's another part of being a nine is, is like yeah. we have a hard time making up our minds because we can we see both sides of the fence we're kind of like on there like oh is that that opinion could be just as good as this other one so it's, it's yeah. really hard to you know yeah, yeah see both both sides of the fence yeah there's there's i don't know if i would call it a, a dichotomy or a, there's there's everybody everybody has a lot of nuance to them a lot of different aspects to who they are but i remember one time you and i were hanging out and uh i would I, you know, I'm familiar with a lot of your music and I, I think I, I don't know what it was, but I asked you a question, I think about one of maybe one of the maybe deep concepts in one of your songs. And I, we were hanging out, we were bowling, uh, and you kind of looked at me and said, you know, I, I don't, I don't really speak like that when I'm not writing or, or I don't, you know, I don't speak on that level all the time uh, in the state when I'm just hanging out with other people. Now I'm sure you probably do with different, different people that you're close to. So maybe that was it, but, but th there is a, there's a, there's a real casual, easygoing side to you. Uh, and it certainly shows up in your music, but, but there's also a great deal of thought and reflection and depth to your songs. So I, I was wondering, I mean, am I, do you, you do a lot of concerts and, and this probably happens to a lot of, uh, people that are sort of celebrities or, or songwriters, but do you, have you had a lot of people come up to you and just want to go, go to the, the bottom of the well 
you know, in a five minute conversation <laughs> where you're like, you know, grabbing a burger or a cup of coffee and you're like, well, I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go there. I mean, is that, is that, is that kind of a tension that you deal with? I think maybe, I don't know if I would describe it as a tension as much as, um, I think it's an honor that people would listen to music and feel connected in a way and feel personally connected where they, they feel like they, they could trust me. Yeah, with parts of their story or with certain questions, and um, and I don't remember that conversation while we were bowling, but and I, you know, it it could have been something that I said really wise, or that could have been like just a horrible thing that I did. I, I don't, I don't, I don't I know, don't know. Uh, yeah. the difference, but um, but I will say that um, what that makes me think of is. I have a lot of friends who are, you know, like theologian types, right. Who, who are thinking deeply about these issues. And it's not that I don't think deeply about issues. I, I, I like to think that I do. Um, but I also don't think that's more important than bowling together. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's like, I think it's, um, I don't, and some of that could come back to, to my Catholic imagination too. So it's, it's like, I don't, I like to, to think deeply about things. Um, and, uh, I'm aware that there are some serious limitations to, to how I can be spiritually and how connected I can be spiritually and on earth. If I, if it's all about what I'm thinking, and all about concepts and not about like just being together and doing stuff with my body, you, you know? So, yeah. uh, in the case of like, you know, our bowling group that we, we both did for a long time, it's like, in a sense, maybe we were all drawn together because of common ideas and, and connection points there. But yeah. then you start doing something as stupid as bowling every week. And then you, I, well, for me, my connection was just shaped by doing something like right. that, just right. just by showing up. And then maybe uh, my theology was changed by it as well. Like the yeah. way that I thought about things and the way I thought about people, the way I thought about life was changed by, um, I think if I looked back and, and if there was a way to judge this, maybe some of the more formative things for me spiritually had a whole lot less to do with, you know, talking about you know theology or deep concepts or something like that and more just about um sharing life with people yeah Uh, and i think it's a mixture i wouldn't want one without the other right um but i would hope that in that conversation that's gonna you know uh, more to your question if people come up to me and they feel connected they want to share something deep you know like right for a show or something like that i'm honored that they would they would want to do that Sure. And my instinct is always like, let's play cornhole. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, what I think of, I can't remember if you were in town for this. Were, were you in town when N.T. Wright came and, and uh, spoke? And no, at, I, I would have remembered that. I would have remembered that. No. Well, he came. Uh, I can't remember why he was in town, but he was coming. And we did this thing where he was coming to speak at Redeemer just in the Abbey House. So it's like a small 
living, I mean, the living room of the house is connected to our church. Yeah. And, um, and we had a few songwriters come. So like it, it might've been before the rabbit room was formed, but, uh, it was kind of square peg Alliance kind of people. So right. I remember I think Andrew Peterson was there, Don Chaffer, Osanga, I mean, that normal kind of crew. Right. And, um, you had this whole group of people from Vanderbilt, uh, the divinity school, uh-huh. uh, who were really interested that he was in town and you had some musicians and the, he would take questions and the people from the divinity school would ask him these, you know, like big worded theological questions. Right. <laughs> and he could, he could, he could respond to them at that sure. level sure. in that language. And he would, but it was always cutting it short. And all he wanted to do was play Bob Dylan songs. Right. Right. I've listened and to his he podcast. He, yeah. He plays those. Yeah. 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 He, he, he just had the, like him talking about theology was one thing, but when he got the guitar and started playing songs, it was like, he was fully alive. And even seeing somebody like that, who was just like, Hey, you know, this, he's not saying that theology questions aren't important. He's just saying like, um, they're not all that there is like, let's, yeah. let me play you a Bob Dylan song. And, um, so my instinct in some of those times, it kind of depends on where the person is coming from, but, uh, maybe a response for me about like, Hey, let's play cornhole instead of talking about this deep thing. It's like, I want to be like, Hey, um, lighten up. And maybe, maybe the answers that we're both looking for, we can find just by being in each other's presence and enjoying ourselves. That's Um, great. That's great. Yeah. That really, that, that provides a bridge to, um, another aspect about you and you've already, you've already touched on it quite a bit, but the, the idea of community building as a sacrament, or as sacrament. And uh, Andrew Peterson is pretty good at this. I kind of call him a Pied Piper of community, but he, but he does, but I don't know that he plays a lot of cornhole. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I haven't seen it, but uh, he, he's more about parties and gathering songwriters and musicians and, you know, people like that. But um, where you're a guy who will hang out with artists, you'll hang out with the guys next door. You'll hang out with just about anybody. And, I saw in another another interview, you said, when I write a song, it has to be the one that brings everybody together. And and again, it gets back to maybe your your peacemaker uh, personality. Uh, it, it shows up in your songs and but also your life. And and if you on your Instagram, your your description of yourself, you say, I'm a bowling, badmintoning, high fiving, disc golfing, nicknaming, basketballing, fun facilitator. And I also do singer and songwriter stuff on the side, but, um, so how, how does, how does, I mean, you've, you've already kind of touched on it, but for instance, when we went for, for, you did a a bowling lunch, uh, it was on Tuesdays or Wednesdays, but for several years, I showed up at some point and did it and was participated for a while, but I was in the middle of pretty intense, uh, prison ministry at the time. And, uh, and also didn't have a great deal of community. Um, and so I would go to these things and there were some deep conversations on occasion, but most of the time we bowled and tried to get better at bowling and ate some bad bowling food. And, (laughs) and, but, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm a five, probably I, I have some nine in me, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm, I look into things. I'm an investigator. So I probably put more meaning on bowling lunch than 
than was necessary. But it was such a huge thing for me in my time living in Nashville. Uh, just the sense of belonging, the sense of repetition, maybe a routine, going there every week, knowing the guys were going to be there. Um, the, again, I, I really felt like there was, a, there was this holiness about it. And, and, and there were guys there that weren't Christian. And, you know, that, that, and, and to me, that in some ways made it even more holy, you know, that we were, we were, we, friendship was a really big deal. And it, and it, I don't know whether people recognized it or not. I, I certainly did. So, mm-hmm. um, again, we were sort of drilling down on the why of what you do. And a lot of times your answers are, that's just who I am. I'm a guy who's raised to, but you, you take a lot of deliberate, you know, (laughs) effort. You make a lot of deliberate effort to, to gather people and do these kinds of kind of simple things like sports and games. You do family feud on your, on your, on your Monday thing. Um, you do a th- what? What's the thing on Christmas where you burn? Is there the Grinch? Is it, what do you call no, that? We call it Grinching. Uh, Grinching. Just going around and collecting Christmas trees. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, so all these kind of just almost just guy things that you do. Um, ha- is that something you you again that's just instinctive to you, or have you kind of reflected on what that means in the kind of the kingdom way of looking at things? I think it is, I don't know if I've ever said it this way before. I think it's something that was instinctive to me. And then maybe I learned that it wasn't valuable. And so at some point I got a message that it wasn't valuable. Yeah. And then later got a message that no, it is valuable. So it's, there, there's an intentionality about recovering what was maybe instinctive to me very early on. I don't know if that makes sense, but there's a story that I've I've told before about a time in my mid twenties, this kind of crisis of faith, crisis of lifetime. Mm -hmm. And, um, I got a call from a former, uh, professor of theology at Belmont where I went, who I just loved, who just a really wise person. And I I just, and he was the spiritual director for some of my mentors and, um, and he reached out to me and said, Hey, I know you're going through a hard time. Would you like to get together? And I was like, Oh, this is great. Cause I, I think I'm ready to become a spiritual grown up. You know, <sighs> I didn't, I never had quiet time. I never really read the Bible with any regularity. I didn't have any kind of prayer life. And I was like, this is, this guy is going to teach me how to do it. Right. He's going to take mm-hmm. me under his wing. And I remember going to see him and, uh, him, you know, I just kind of filling him in on everything that's going on in my life and, and then saying, I think with all this stuff, it's I'm ready to grow up. I'm ready to be a spiritual man of God, you know, if you will. And uh, when I was done talking, he said, well, do you like getting up early in the morning? Because I was talking about, oh, I, I, I want to get up early in the morning. And like all these men who have spent an hour in quiet time, you know, it's five in the morning or something like that. That was like the standard of what I thought I wanted to be. Right. And he, he said, do you like getting up early in the morning? And I said, no, I'm a musician. I mean, like <laughs> I hate it. Yeah. And, uh, he said, do you like reading? And I said, well, I, I kind of like reading. It just puts me to sleep, especially the Bible. It all just puts me to sleep. <laughs> and, um, and then he told me he had just gotten over this horrible bout with cancer. And, and, uh, he told me that, uh, 
that the most important spiritual discipline I do every day is I walk my dog on the golf course because I love walking my dog on the golf course. Hmm. He said, you, you don't need to like get up and read the Bible early in the morning and do all this kind of stuff. First thing you need to do is reconnect with what, what really brings you joy and then yeah. trust that God is going to meet you there. Wow, and so he great. told me that you know, I might've been 24 or 25 years old. And I remember thinking that was kind of a cop out. I was like, well, that's, I mean, that could get me into a lot of trouble. And, um, but, um, over the years, those, I think about those words all the time. And I actually just started going back to see him for spiritual direction, you know, three years ago or so. But, uh, and I told him, I was like, I still remember this conversation when I was 25. Um, and it kind of just seeped into my subconscious where I was trying to pay attention to things that just made me feel that I just selfishly love to do. Mm. instead of thinking like, oh, here's what I need to do for the Lord. Um, so something like bowling, it just started because there's one friend we saw, you know, the deal where there's like, you get a lunch combo and you get two games for free. And we're like, hey, let's go, let's meet to bowl. And then we did it another week and I started inviting more guys. Mm. And if I didn't love to do it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it. It's it's yeah. It's like, it's this place where the pure selfishness of like, loving to be around guys and, and loving to do that. And the, the, com the competitive part, but it's not overly competitive, Yeah. but there's a, a part of it to it. Um, so for me, um, there was no feeling of obligation or, or this is my ministry to people or it's a men's group, whatever. It's just like, Hey, I love it. And if somebody else loves it too, then come on, you're welcome. So the door is open to anybody. Yeah. Um, and I just, I don't, I don't think you're overstating. Like for me, I can't remember if you were there. Were you there on Frank the Killer's last day before he moved away? I saw him many times. I don't know that it, he lived there permanently and then he left. I don't think yeah, I was yeah. there for that. Yeah. Okay. So Frank the Killer, which, I mean, that's not his real name, obviously, but um, the name is Frank. And he was just a... Um, once the bowling thing got started and people heard about it, there was some mom whose kids went to school with our kids. And she said, Oh, my, my dad was a, a semi-pro bowler. Um, can he come join you? And I was like, sure. So he came and started bowling with us every week. And he wasn't a Christian. He's like a, this wonderful tattooed French Canadian man. And he would come and he would give us all pointers and just, you know, we weren't, the point wasn't to like preach the gospel to somebody or like, Oh, let's have Christians and non-Christians and do some evangelizing or something. It yeah. was just like, we all like bowling. Let's just have fun. We'll goof off, whatever. And I'll never forget the, there's a day when he's, he's moving out to Arizona. And so uh, we were going to celebrate Frank's last bowling lunch before he moved to Arizona. And Jill, I talked to Jill, she went and, and got a, cake from Kroger, you know, that said, you know, so long Frank, the killer or something like that. <laughs> something that she probably felt weird about asking the lady to write in icing. But, yeah. um, you know, we had some cake and David Miller time started singing for he's a jolly good fellow. And then, then we kind of jokingly said speech, speech. <laughs> and Frank got up on a chair and he just said, I'll, I'll give a speech. And he's like, um, I've been bowling for years and years, like in bowling leagues. I mean, he was really good. Yeah. Um, and he was crying. He just said, I've mm. never had as good of friends as I have 
in this bowling lunch. Yeah. Uh, he just, he just said he loved every one of us. Mm. And so it's one of those times where I'm like, Oh, it, it seems menial. You're, you're not getting there necessarily talking about deep things or, yeah. um, but you share a lot of every week you see each other and you share life together and you're having fun. And some days are better than others. And, and, um, and just to see that all we had to do was show up and have fun together and some really deep connections were made yeah. um, that are very long lasting. And I don't think, you know, you were saying maybe you were overstating what, what the relationships meant and something like that. And I'm, I'm with you. I just think uh, it, it, it expanded my heart in ways that I could never have imagined. Um, and just a deep love for, you know, anytime I, I think about your nickname, Shawshank or other people, when I <laughs> yeah. hear somebody from their, their nickname, I'm like, okay, like that, it just, it just really warms my heart. So from a really selfish level, um, I do it because, uh, I feel connected. Um, and I really do feel like God is there in the midst of us in, in that kind of joy and connection. Um, maybe sometimes way more than I feel it when I'm, you know, doing the things that I should be doing to be a good Christian. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a parallel for me is, uh, I feel like I'm worshiping a lot more when I'm out on a hike or, or right near, near a river or something. And some people will say, well, you're not really worshiping. I say, well, I don't know. Um, yeah, that, it's it's just odd again again i think you you touched on it when it comes to people's faith traditions like you know baptist or or catholic uh but the separation of church and life that we create and that we use the words like words like truth you know the bible is true it has true principles but bowling is true <laughs> friendship is true you know there, there if we can if we can kind of cross that bridge a little bit to see what really, what, not what is true, but also what resonates, what, what, what really meets me and, and fills my empty tank. Cause I think God wants all those things for us. Mm. And, and so when we, we bridge the sacred with the secular, I think uh, it, it really opens up the, a pretty good can of worms. Life right. become life becomes a, a lot more amazing. There's so much more opportunity. Um, Certainly we deal with the tension of, you know, not falling too far away from God when we go into the secular, but uh, I think that's probably where God wants us. Um, I, I think he, I don't think he wants us to get too comfortable. I, I know he doesn't want us to stay in the church and only find the ultimate value by what we hear on Sunday morning. Um, right. But just a, a few more things. I want to talk about the, and something you've touched on at times, but the principles of authentic, authenticity and transparency when it comes to this idea of living your faith and out in the real world. Um, why do you think authenticity and transparency are important to you as a, as a musician and as a human being? Hmm. I just think it's easy Well, I'll speak at it from, it seems to me that the biggest rub against authenticity and vulnerability and transparency is 
uh, comes from the artist side where it's kind of like um, for example when when Jill was first signed with Word Records and we were you know she was a big Christian artist and we're I'm playing guitar for we're going and doing all these events um, they told us that we needed to ballet park wherever we went and we needed to dress differently so people would know that we were special like artists like to be seen as an artist you kind of have to be seen as this you know for people to want to pay money to come see you you have to kind of like give this impression that you're more than they are right there's yeah. more to you you're more mysterious and whatever yeah and um that always felt so weird to me but th- but there is that pressure um and i just felt like i remember reading an article actually from david wilcox and in, in ccm magazine years and years and years ago where he was like how weird is it that like like in pop music you you want to be seen like a god so that that, like there's such a difference between the artist and the and the audience so that they're willing to pay all this money and how how weird is it that in christian music and in general it's the same structure christian music of all music should be like we are all totally in it together all equal all we're all on the same level it doesn't work well for business as an artist right it doesn't work well for creating this mystique and having the most followers and all this kind of stuff and people buy your merch if people are like oh well it's just andy you know just like a regular person what's exciting about that um so there is some pressure against like vulnerability and transparency um but for me i just think it to cut that off uh, and not not be able to be myself with anybody that I meet, it's I, I guess I, I I'm not saying I would do it because it's the noble thing to do. It's just dangerously lonely, I think, to do that, yeah. um, and dangerously isolating, um, and. For me, I, I'm not, I can't speak for anybody else, but like, if I'm projecting some image I'm, and I don't feel like I'm able to be my true self, then I start kind of believing the lie that I'm telling other people. And it only creates a distance between me and other people. Yeah. And for me, that distance is not helpful or healthy in my life. Um, I don't know if that really speaks exactly to, to what you're, what you were asking, but, but, um, that's kind of how I I look at it. I have to be, um, you know, authentic can be overused in different ways. I hope I'm an authentic person, but, um, it, it just doesn't serve me well. Once again, to, to a selfish thing, it doesn't serve me well to project an image and try to live up to that. Because uh, when I feel distanced from other people, then I feel uh, less connected, and yeah. uh, it's just not a good place for me to be spiritually. Yeah, so it gets maybe back to the what we were talking about with with truth. You know, we we're all about this the biblical truth. <laughs> we're all about the gospel, but are we ourselves being true? You know, and 
and there are, there are, there are biblical truths that you know one we're we're all a mess, <laughs> and two God is uh, active playing an active role maybe going a little slower than we'd like but He's playing an active role to to restore all things and and to heal all things, and so we get a the opportunity the gift to go out into the world and and as I've I phrase it we get to be agents of restoration. And, and we, and I think we do that. One of the best ways we can do that is being truthful about who we are and where we are, you know, that can, that can go off the rails maybe, but you know, I, I don't know that there's, it, it's certainly personally in my own ministry. Um, I, in many ways, I much preferred prison ministry over being a pastor because, <laughs> because uh, I could walk in there and, you know, they may not relate to me, but uh, I could walk in there and just say, look, guys, I'm, I'm no better than you are, you know, spiritually. I, I, I have just as many weaknesses and, and failings and, you know, that's it. Maybe people look at, at it, at it as a negative or we're, we're all ashamed to talk about these things, but that's the path to healing. That's the path to restoration. And I know you spend a lot of your time, you know, doing conferences and working with a lot of people in, in recovery ministry. Um, so just uh, just wanted to kind of point that out that, that, that you really there's a there's a again, a lot of stuff happens because we uh, follow a certain path, we're deliberate about it, but God just God takes us along these paths as well. And there's a lot of consistency across the board, in my view, of your your life and your ministry and your music, where um, I have to think that certainly God had a part in that, but that you've, it also had to happen through a lot of deliberate thought and decision-making on your part, or, or maybe it was just the, this is who I am. And that was the gift, but I don't know that authenticity and transparency comes natural to too many people. <laughs> I've had to work on it and continue to have to. Yeah. Right. I think if, if that's true about me and kind of, if there's that kind of consistency, once again, I mean, I'm using the term selfish in, in a way that's, you know, people don't always use it, but like, um, it really is kind of a selfish thing for me for uh, all of these things about community and kind of being vulnerable and being transparent um, are things that I had to, like I said, maybe they were kind of natural to me before, but like, yeah shame and the and just kind of our experiences in the world kind of beat it out of us like oh that's not what you want to be yeah and then through my own healing journey kind of just seeing how not just how much i love being that way but how necessary it is for me like um so it's just selfishly i need to be that way i need community and and i need uh to be honest and open and vulnerable um because I know what it's like when I'm not yeah. right. So, um, and it's not good for me. So just from a selfish standpoint, uh, if, if those characteristics have carried out in ways that I bowl or whatever, it's, it's because it's not because I had some really deep understanding about, you know, Oh, it would be so great if life was this way. It's like, I failed enough to realize that that's what I needed. And that's yeah. the, to me, the gift of, of that kind of failure where it's like, oh yeah, I, I tried other ways and it just doesn't, it just doesn't work for me. Sure. Um, it only hurt me. So like, it's like my medicine. So it's, it's less yeah. of like a, 
um, a, oh, how noble that I would do such a thing and just be like, oh yeah, I just, I just learned that if I want to be healthy, I have to take that medicine and yeah. I have to be this way. Um, and maybe not everybody has to be that way, but I do. That's all I need to know is it, it's what I need. And so I try to prioritize it. Yeah. And I think, yeah, you keep using this word selfishness. Uh, I think God knows we're selfish. <laughs> I, I think he knows that, uh, again, he wants to meet our needs. And, uh, you know, I, I, the way I, I think I, I talked about this on a, another podcast I was on, that I think the first commandment to love is to love your neighbor as yourself, that, that our first point of reference is how we want to be treated. You know, the end of love is lay down your life for your friends, <laughs> be totally selfless, selfless. But I think as Christians, we put too much uh, impetus on, on the self-sacrifice without realizing that God throws us a bone by knowing that most of the time we be, when we want to follow his will or learn the lessons he wants to give us, it's self-referential. I mean, <laughs> um, you know, not everybody's, not everybody's Mother Teresa or Billy Graham, including Mother Teresa and Billy Graham. I'm sure, <laughs> yeah. sure they would have told you that. But we, we, we have this, this pedestal, I think, about where we're supposed to be headed. And I don't know that we ever get away from the fact that it, it's, it's a self, uh, it, it serves us as, as, our, as, as ourselves to, to do what God wants us to do. And so, yeah, maybe it wasn't a huge uh, wisdom thing from above that you, you learn these things about transparency, but it was wisdom <laughs> mm. and, and it has, and, and most of the time when we make those wise choices, it goes beyond us. I'm sure I'm sure those, your choices about authenticity and stuff has, has affected who you are as a husband and father and friend. And, mm -hmm. you know, so I don't know. It's, oh. it's all, it, go ahead. Oh, I was thinking when you're talking about kind of the end of love being the self-sacrificial yeah. uh, thing, you know, coming back to the, you know, it's just a bowling lunch that we did. Um, yeah. And I'm not saying it's the greatest thing in the entire world, it's, but it was very life-giving to me. Um, but I kind of think when I picture starting with that self-sacrificial lay down your life for your friends, yeah. like if you just imagine all the guys who are in that bowling group with us and I just saw them without the context of bowling lunch and be like, okay, you're supposed to lay down your life for these guys. You'd be like, okay, I know I'm supposed to, but then <laughs> just through bowling with them for that one, like 10 years was the bowling league. Right. And like, just through bowling with them, like, I would give anything for any of those guys. Sure. You know, I mean, maybe that's a too bold of a statement to say I'd lay down my life for them, but yeah. because of the, because of the more self-referential, like, Oh, I'm doing this because I enjoy it. Yeah. Kind of entering into that. It, it makes that other part more natural. Like for right. Frank, the killer, you know, if Frank, the killer need me to come drive to Arizona and pick him up and bring him back to Nashville, I'd be like, Oh, if I have time, I'm gonna, I'd happily do that because yeah. I love that guy, um, and what whatever it took. So I think you, it's really hard for me to have that 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 end of love of laying down your life for somebody without the the formation of that, which comes out of this like, oh well, let's just have fun together and enjoy each other's presence and yeah. and and follow what we love you know, God knowing that we're selfish, but also kind of like when I look at my own kids and I'm like, 
when I see them delight in something and just be so excited about it, I'm like, do that. Let me find a way to let you do that as much as possible because them delighting in something is like the greatest thing in the world to me. And, you know, so it's easier for me to think of God being that way. Like, Oh, you like playing cornhole? Oh, you like, you know, playing badminton? Like, let's do it. That's done. Uh, and then just trust that that um, more self-sacrificial love and that other connection just will, will flow out of it. And I can, right. I think I can trust it now because that's just what my experience has been. I've just experienced that, and, and I'm I'm not as skeptical of that process. That's right. Yeah. And you mentioned N.T. Wright. One of his, uh, you know, his his focus on what happens. You know, do we go to heaven? Uh, that kind of thing. And he he's a big proponent of of merging this the secular with the sacred uh i think he even wrote a book recently called on earth as it is in, in heaven <laughs> mm. that 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 the stuff doesn't have that, that we don't have to wait for heaven we don't have to wait for eternity god god's in the middle of restoring this stuff and we can take take a part in that and and that is not in spite of the earth stuff it's not in spite of of in of daily, you know, human pleasure <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and sports and meals and friendship. It's, it's in many ways because of that. Now, mm-hmm. part of what God does is he transforms those things. You know, you can, you can take friendship and have it be toxic and you can go out and do play sports and ignore your family and stuff like that. But, but, but so I think you need to be intentional about it, but yeah, it, to me, it's, I, I don't know that I get too giddy very often, but I get giddy when I think about all the stuff that we can do when we realize that the world isn't just permanently evil, <laughs> that we get to go out into the world and enjoy the things that God has created and that he's given us to do and, and, and take part in that as imperfect human beings. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, just wrap up a little bit. Um, I know Jill, your wife is Jill Phillips. Uh, She's recently kind of transitioned into uh, being a professional therapist, which has been exciting to hear. But she's still working with you as a musician and tours with you. She she just re- released an EP. It's called Deeper Into Love. Is, is that, I think I bought it, so it's available. Is there an official release date for that? Uh, it officially released on Valentine's Day. So it's out there oh, in like iTunes okay. and, and cool. Spotify and all that kind of stuff. Well, I'm be, I'm behind the curve on that. So I'm, but that, that's, that's one of the latest things you guys have done. So wanted to mention that. Are, are you, you're probably always writing, but are you working on your, your next record? I mean, I've been, yeah, I'm writing, uh, a lot. I haven't been recording this whole COVID time. I haven't been recording. Yeah. Uh, I, I need to, it's just hard for me to, there's a lot of stuff going on in life and, and, uh, where it's just hard for me to get, well, that's another nine thing. It's, it's yeah. on the Enneagram. It's really hard for us to get, get moving, uh, changing directions, but so it's on the horizon, but, but nothing official started yet. Okay. So, uh, those who don't know you, how do they find you? Uh, how did, I know, I know with, we, we could have spent time on it. I didn't think it was necessary, but you spent the last couple of years trying to engage people in community online, you know, through, through your Gullahorn happy hour. Uh, so how do people find you? How do they join you in community online? Uh, that kind of thing. Okay. There's a, a lot of ways. I mean, you know, the, the standard social media ways, if you just look up Andy Gullahorn on Instagram or Facebook yeah. or whatever, 
uh, that's kind of where we, and, and the music on Spotify and Apple music, but, uh, and that's where the Gullivorn happy hours are there on Instagram live and, uh, Facebook live. Um, so those are the easy places to, you know, quote, find me. But if you really want to find me, all you have to do is come play badminton at 9am at Severe Park Community Center <laughs> in Nashville, Tennessee. Right. And, uh, I'm there with my friend Gabe after giving him a high five and we played badminton for a few hours. So, or go hang out at Ladybird Taco because I'm there all the time. But yeah. uh, if somebody wanted to find me in person, that's that's how to do it. That's how to do it. Uh, if if you listen to Andy's music and you really want to support him, uh, uh, it's patreon.com slash Andy Gullahorn. You call them Gullah patrons. Is that right? Yes. I, I guess I should have mentioned that too. Yeah, the, the Patreon, I've uh, people have talked to me for years about starting a Patreon. And I was like, I, I was yeah. hesitant because I didn't sure. want to have to like record a studio song like every month. And it just felt like too big of a barrier for me to actually follow through. But the, but I started one at the beginning of last year and it really is just a place where, uh, one building community, but two, it's a place for all my songs to live. So there's, there are so many songs that I would write that I wouldn't record, but particularly in the last three years, there's all the songs that I've written, that I haven't had time to do on a record. What it looks like is I just, every song that I write, I, make a video of and i post on there so they kind of have access to i don't know how many songs i posted last year uh a good number of them uh but that's kind of access to all my songs that aren't recorded yet yeah great yeah it's a great way to it looks like reading the description a great way to kind of get get behind the scenes and be understand the process and of, of what you do writing songs um, well, thank you so much, Andy. It's, uh, this has been such a pleasure to be able to just talk to you because I consider you a friend, but also yeah. just to delve into some of this stuff that I care about. Um, certainly there's a lot of things that, uh, you and I are different in a lot of ways, but I think there's a lot of similarities. So I've, I've always, even before I got to know you, I, I felt that bond. So yeah. I, I appreciate your heart and your, your desire to, uh, keep moving forward and, and be a light in this world and, and, uh, help show us the way. And, um, so hope to see you soon. Thanks. Thank you, John. I'm just grateful to have this conversation with you. Thanks. Wasn't that great? I hope you were touched like I was by Andy's authenticity and words of wisdom. I encourage you if you haven't to search for him online buy some of his records, and definitely go see him and his wife Jill in concert whenever you have the chance. Like me, your life will be more full of joy and meaning if you do. I hope you'll tune in for our next episode, a spiritual meditation on how we can better experience eternity by spending time outdoors amid God's creation and nature. And I think you're also going to love the guest interview episode that will follow. We'll see you then. This podcast is a production of Embrace What Matters Ministries. We encourage you to subscribe, rate and review, share, and please send us a comment or an email. To learn more about John, his devotional book, and other writings, please visit EmbraceWhatMatters.com. 